0: Amen. Thank you very much. First Chronicles. First Chronicles 16. Okay, children, you can head on out. And I know you're excited about your meeting tonight. First Chronicles. The song just sung, as I understand it, was written. In fact, I know the young man that wrote it, or he's not young now, but he wrote it when he was 16 years old. A passion for thee, a thirst for thy presence. And I love that little thing, a thirst for thy presence. And we also saw him speak, Lord. We uh, also heard those words. Uh, about God's presence and actually preparing our hearts for what we're going to deal with here tonight. Well, I guess we all have to say that you've got a pastor who is a prophet as well. We look out the windows and there it is. We got the sun in a little early on this thing. So uh, we get the sun here. Uh, while I'm preaching, I'm sorry you won't get to enjoy it because I don't think we'll be done before the sun sets if it's setting at eight o'clock. Okay. But anyway, well, uh should be about that time. a little effects of the sunlight it's kind of nice to see the sun after I've uh, been a, few, a couple days ago. We saw it for a few moments, but anyway, been a good day today. I hope you've had a good day. It was a great day today because we got down to Lapierre and I went to Tim Hortons again. Okay, unbelievable. I know you got Tims all around here, but I'm from Wisconsin. I don't get to stop by that, and I'm telling you, I was telling my wife as I was sipping that coffee. I said, "This is so good. I'm not. I just don't understand it. Why coffee can't be made other places as good as that is." Now you may not agree with me, but uh, don't bust my bubble on the deal. Okay, but. Uh, Uh, But anyway, it's good to have you here tonight. And uh, we're going to be going to 1 Chronicles chapter number 16. And I want to deal with subject matter, and I'm going to try to explain it as we go through, that I believe is extremely critical when it comes to living an effective Christian life. Now, last night, I certainly won't re preach the message, but we talked about that middle aisle. We didn't do a lot to develop the middle aisle, but we uh, talked about the important part of living in liberty, true liberty. The true gospel, or we could call it God-dependence, and we pointed out God-dependence always leads to crucifying the flesh. And so we dealt with that center aisle. I didn't have time last night to deal with the aisle. I was probably more fixated with the ditches, was kind of our perspective last night. Uh, but tonight we'll start to kind of, and we may continue to develop this as the Lord leads. But how do you walk on that center, that center liberty road? Well, I'm going to deal with a very important key to that here tonight And I guess if we called the message tonight, I would call it Seeking God's Face, Seeking God's Face. But we're going to deal tonight with the manifestation of the presence of God. I believe it's a very important issue, and one of which, unfortunately, there's been a lot of teaching that has not been helpful, but there is a Bible truth that I want us to see tonight. And I hope it will be a help. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 16. I want you to look at verse number 11. We'll read the verse, and then I'll show you where the text comes out tonight. Seek the Lord and His strength. Notice those last four words. Seek His face. Could you tell me the last word? Continually. Now, I think we'd all agree tonight, you're an independent Baptist, you get this. We'd all agree that every command in the Bible is important. Now, the Bible does tell us in Matthew chapter 5 that there's something called Least commandments. Did you know that? There are some commandments, God says, are not as important as others. But even the least commandment, God says, if you'll do and teach them, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. So least commandments are important to God. They're just least. But obviously there are commandments that have a little more importance. And uh, it's interesting to me, what the, what might those be? Well, some of them God tells us about. But I think I could we could say this. Anything God tells us to do all the time must be important. What do you think? How about this verse? You ever heard it? Rejoice evermore. How about this one? Pray without ceasing. Those seem to be pretty important commands, don't you think? If God's saying you need to do them all the time, they need to be the very heartbeat of your Christian experience. They're important. So God tells us to seek His face continually. So I've got a question for you. What does it mean to seek God's face? Now I'm just going to put it out to you tonight this way. If you don't know how to seek God's face, pretty good chance you won't do it. I found that any command, if you don't understand what the command means, pretty good chance you're not going to do it. So tonight I want us to understand how do you seek God's face? Because how often are we supposed to seek God's face? And the answer is continually. continually. This must be important. Well, you might say, now, wait a second, preacher. I got hung up on a moment ago. You said pray without ceasing. How in the world can you pray without ceasing? You got to eat. You got to sleep. I heard somebody once say this, prayer is the breath of dependence. That really is true. But I always switched it around and thought, you know, if prayer is the breath of dependence, I wonder if dependence is not wordless prayer. In other words, friends, every day of our lives you can depend on God. You can go to bed at night depending on God. You wake up in the morning depend upon God. And I do believe that helps us and also helps us with the command we're going to consider tonight. I want to ask you a question today. Did you seek God's face today? You say, Preacher, are you talking about having your devotions? Well, let me just say this. You can have your devotions and not seek God's face. Did you know that? But if you seek God's face, I guarantee you, you'll have your devotions. Absolutely will. So what does it mean to seek God's face? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the problems we have, and it's really big, one of the problems we have is we're 20, 20, 22 Americans. That's our problem. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, if you were living in the days of the Old Testament and somebody said to seek somebody's face, you'd have a whole lot better idea of that than we do. Do you know why? Because if you saw somebody's face tonight, it could be a variety of things. You know what it could be? A picture. It could be a a videotape situation. Uh, It could be Skype or FaceTime. There's a lot of times we see people's faces today, and yet when we see their face, we're not in their presence. We are not in their presence. But in Old Testament days, if you saw somebody's face, guess what? You were in their presence. Now, I think most of us understand this that uh, certainly we love to communicate uh, with technology with loved ones. My wife uh, and I most of the time are together, but occasionally in the summertime I'll go do a youth camp and uh, there's not a need for her to be there, and so I let her be at home. And, and uh, we will communicate during the week if we're able to, unless we're at uh, Treasure Menton Bible Camp, which is at 8,600 feet, and the closest cell phone service is 45 minutes away. That week we don't communicate. But if we, we communicate and uh we don't use FaceTime or Skype I suppose we could but we're baby boomers we got to figure that thing out and uh, the only problem with FaceTime and some of those things they haven't protected uh, perfected the technology your nose looks about twice as big as it actually is okay and when you're Dutch that's one part of the anatomy you don't want to highlight okay but anyway so they got to work on that but um, you can do Skype and I could Skype my wife but I'm telling you that's good but that's no substitute for being in her actual presence could I put it this way I could kiss the cell phone by but I'd rather kiss my wife. You with me on this one? Okay. Yeah, I could Skype my wife on a computer, but I, I'd, I'd rather hug my wife than hug the computer. Okay, we all recognize that technology has given us some wonderful things, but even technology is no substitute for being in the actual presence of people we love. To me, there was nothing was nothing like summertime coming home and using my daughters are there and some of my daughters and my wife and coming up the driveway and giving them all hugs and spending time talking. There's no substitute for the actual presence of people we love. So when the Bible's saying to seek God's face, it's actually helping us understand something. You probably also have read some Psalms that said, cause thy face to shine upon us. What's that talking about? Well, God's using imagery And he's using the imagery to help us understand, don't miss this, the manifestation of the presence of God. Now, I don't want to lose you here, but I want you to get this. Did you know right now that God's in this auditorium? Did you know that? I like the song, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. But the very end of that song says this, everywhere that man can be, thou God art present there. You show me where a human being can be. And I'm telling you, friends, God's there. We all know that theologically. Not a person in this room who's been in church very long knows that God's everywhere. But my friend, there are two kinds of people in the room tonight, people who theologically know God is here. And there's other people tonight that know God's here because He has manifested His presence to them. They're walking with Him. They're in fellowship with Him. There's a reality to Him. Now, I want you to understand tonight, it is a very difficult thing to try to present something that is spiritual. It's very challenging. You know why? Because our culture is asphyxiated with the sensory. God has given us five senses, and with those five senses, we assimilate this world in which we have been born. And it's really a remarkable thing. And if you're lacking one of the senses in a certain way, there's a certain part of the world you cannot assimilate because you need all five senses. And I know some of you got COVID and you lost your taste and smell. I've understood that that has happened. And I'm telling you, that'd be a really nice thing if you needed to lose some weight. But other than that, it wouldn't be a good deal. You know what I'm talking about? Because I don't know about you, there's some really good tastes out there. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so uh, uh, we all, uh, five senses, God's given us our five senses. And with those five senses, we assimilate the world. Now, our world knows that, and I have watched this as I've grown up. I have watched the world absolutely cater to the five senses. Now, let me give you a couple examples. When I was growing up, we had candy. It was okay, uh, but some of it was really pretty poor. Like one piece of candy I used to buy, I don't know why I bought it, was wax lips. How many remember wax lips? Yeah, okay. All you baby I mean excuse me all you millennials and gen zers watch all those old people raise their hand okay you say what in the world are wax lips okay they had sometimes had buck teeth on them you remember that some silly smile who knows you'd wear them around for a while then you'd start chewing on them like bubble gum do you know what wax lips tasted like when you started to chew them tasted like wax yeah <laughs> like no flavor have you noticed they're not around anymore okay they didn't make it it's kind of crazy yeah uh, i'm telling you today you ever going by the candy aisle I'm telling you, they got flavors I never imagined. I mean, the other day, I just mentioned in preaching, I mentioned, man, I was at a pastor's home and they pulled out some mango Pepsi. How many have drank some mango Pepsi? I'm telling you, that stuff is unbelievable. It tastes just like mango. It's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So, the other week, somebody brought me a bunch of cans of mango Pepsi. So, don't do that. I got plenty. It'll last me for a while. But uh, that's amazing the different flavors that are out there, and our world caters to that. Uh, I think about potato chips. Back when I was a kid, you know what we had? Potato chips. That's what we had. And then the day came, unbelievable, sour cream and onion. Wow, we got a flavor on potato chips. Or maybe it was barbecue. I can't remember. One of those two kind of came in at the same time, and we thought that was great. Have you ever seen the potato chips today? Some of the flavors on those things. Like the other, other, a few uh, years back, I, I got cheeseburger ruffles. You say, preacher, what do they taste like? I'll be honest with you, a cheeseburger. That's what they taste like. I mean, you can taste the meat, the cheese, the pickles, the mustard, the ketchup, the mayonnaise. That's crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Unbelievable. And I'm telling you, I've even noticed today, I, I went by a display, chicken and waffle, potato chips. Chickens and what? I didn't buy those. Okay, but anyway. And another one I walked by, I had a conviction. I couldn't buy it. You say, why? It was beer-battered onion rings. Okay, couldn't get that one. Okay, but anyway. Unbelievable flavors today. And I could go on and on and on. Our world uh, absolutely caters to our five senses. Do you know the problem with that? Even as believers, you know what happens? We become very asphyxiated with the sensory. Can I tell you something tonight? You do not find God in the sensory. You do not find God in the realm of what you can see or what you can hear. You don't hear God's act, uh, actual speaking to us in, in, uh, where our eardrum uh, moves. God speaks to us, but not that way. And he speak, he we don't see Him with physical eyes. We don't touch Him with physical hands. Are you see, understanding, my friend? You know what we're talking about when we talk about the presence of God? I don't want you to miss this. It's spiritual. John 4, 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him, hang on, don't miss this, must worship Him, help me out now, in spirit and in truth. You know how you connect with God? In spirit. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, when you got saved, before you got saved, your spirit, the spiritual part of you, was dead. And when you got saved, don't miss this, you were regenerated. You were born again. You were born again of the spirit and the spiritual part of you was regenerated it came alive And may I say it is in that part of you that you meet God that's where God manifests his presence to you I like to put it this way sometimes when we talk about things that seem to be experiential we get a little nervous now let me just tell you about experience one of the reasons I don't like the word experience is because you can have experiences that are deceptive you and I can be deceived with experience so I like the words spiritual reality. Now they're not uh, uh they're not original with me, but you know what the presence of God is? It's a spiritual reality. Now it certainly has experiential tones, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Those are experiential issues. We experience them. I think the songwriters many times are trying to help us understand this spiritual fellowship with God. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Have you ever had times where you're meeting with God and you knew God was there? We're talking about a spiritual reality. And you know our problem today? We have become so distracted by the sensory, even many Christians hardly know what I'm talking about. When's the last time you met with God? When's the last time you were spending time with God and you realize God's here? Yep. And He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You tell me how I know He lives. He lives, can you help me out now, within my heart. You see, my friend, that's where we meet with God. to spiritual reality. In fact, it's interesting to me, almost every song sung tonight talked about the presence of God. Yeah, isn't that interesting? What are we talking about when we're talking about the presence of God? Several years ago, I read an anthology of eyewitness accounts of the Lewis Awakening. The Lewis Awakening took place on the island of Lewis, which is off the coast of Scotland, 1949 to 1952. An evangelist came on the island in December of 1949 for a three-week mission. He did not leave until 1952. Now, that's what you call an extended meeting as God sent revival of that island. And there's a book called Sounds of Heaven, and it's, got, it's an anthology of eyewitness accounts. And I will tell you, if you read that book, it's not what I call a page-turner because certainly uh, each eyewitness account is, is interesting. It's not telling like a chronological story. It's just giving you eyewitness accounts, stirring. But I will tell you, as you read those eyewitness accounts, there's one commonality. You know what it was? The unmistakable reality of the presence of God. They said even unsaved people knew God is on the island. Quite an amazing thing. When you read it, your heart is stirred as God's people uh, had prayed and God had sent His presence and there was a move of God. And certainly, I, I don't want to get, uh, get on, uh, totally focused on just the experiential, but I will tell you, a spiritual reality does affect our experience. That's what I want us to see. So when we're seeking God's face, what are we seeking? We're seeking, here it is, the manifestation of His presence. So I believe what 1 John chapter 1 is talking about when it talks about fellowshipping with God. May I tell you, fellowshipping with God is not primarily academic. It is spiritual. You do not have to be smart to meet with God. Did you know that? You don't have to be an intellect that understands theological mysteries. Because if you think you understand theological mysteries, you probably don't. You don't have to live in ivory towers to meet with God. I'm telling you, friends... It's a wonderful thing, the spiritual nature of the Christian life. And seeking God's face is a Christian who says, God, I want you. God, I can't go on without you. It's like the songwriter said in the song we had sung right before, and I thirst for your presence. God, I want you, a passion for thee. That's what we're talking about. You say, well, preacher, what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like? I think if you don't know what it looks like, let me give you a really good clue. Read the book of Psalms. You know what I find in many of the psalms? I find the psalmists wants God. How about Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2? O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, for the living God. Is that how your heart feels? How about Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2? Uh, o oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to seek thy power and thy glory so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Or how about just a few verses later, verse number 8, My soul followeth hard after thee. How about Psalm 84, verse 2, My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You get an idea that the psalmist wants God I'm telling you, friends, when's the last time you got alone with God? And said, God, it's been a long time since I've sensed your presence. God, I need you. God, I need a touch from heaven. God, I need you to work in my life. I'm telling you, friends, I, I, I believe that's all my heart. I tell our students at Baptist College of Ministry, that diploma on the wall will not make you successful in life. I'm telling you, what will make you successful in life is if you meet with God. If you know God and begin to meet with God, that's how your ministry will have power. Uh, I, it's not the diploma. Oh, don't trust that diploma. You better meet with God. You better get a relationship with God. I remember when I went to college, Bible college, to study for the ministry. I knew my parents weren't going to live long. My dad had congestive heart failure and my mother was battling cancer a second time. It didn't look like either of them were going to live long. And true, that seemed to be exactly how it came out. Uh, my mother uh, died when I was 25 and my dad died when I was... Uh, Uh, in my 30s. And I will tell you that uh, I didn't think my parents were going to live very long and I knew my parents walked with God and I knew God answered their prayers and I knew that. But I remember in Bible college thinking, you know what? I want to get good grades and I want to get this diploma but more important than anything, I don't know God. I don't know God. I'm not going to make it if I don't get to know God. And I will tell you, friend, it was extremely imperfect. But I began in Bible college what I would call the Pursuit of God. I remember my freshman year, somebody handed me the little book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. I'm going to tell you, I read that thing. The words burned in my heart. I'm going to be dead honest with you. I don't think I understood 80% of what that man was talking about. But when I finished that book, you know what I said to myself? I don't know, I understand everything this man's talking about, but whatever he is talking about, that's what I want. And I remember God began in my heart, The Pursuit of God. And I will tell you, friends, it's a pursuit I've continued imperfectly, but I am telling you it's the greatest pursuit that humankind can ever go on. It's the pursuit of God. God wants to have a relationship with you. I'm telling you, teenager, the greatest pursuit you could ever have is to pursue God. But very few teenagers, even Christians, teenagers ever get a hold of that. The greater they, How do I say this? The epitome of the human experience is to experience the manifestation of the presence of God. Where you have a relationship with God. God talks to you and you talk to Him. I'm talking the spiritual realities uh, that I'm talking about here. Okay, so you say, okay, preacher, I think I'm getting it. But I want you to understand, uh, maybe I'll give you a couple of illustrations, help you understand a little bit of what I'm trying to say to you. Several years ago at the college, I noticed a freshman girl come in and she was sad. I noticed she never smiled. And I found out she came from a tough home, a lot of anger. And uh, there was definitely issues there. And I I, 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 I'm not there all the time. Obviously, I'm out preaching like I am this week. I came back at the end of a school year, May, just like I'd be back in a few weeks, and probably, I guess, was the end of her junior year. Could have been senior year. I don't remember exactly. And that year, we had an emphasis on prayer, and we had challenged the students to spend an hour with God. We hadn't required it; we just challenged them to spend an hour with God. And, and uh, so, um, uh, um. Uh, I came back and we were having our final chapel, I had a wonderful testimony service. And remember, I'm sitting over here and we're singing a song called Unbended Knee. It had just been written for that year's emphasis. And I remember as we were singing that song, and of course, the song was very uh, tied into the journey that many of the students had been on, spending extended time with God. We were all standing, and as we were, I looked out in the student body and I saw this girl. It was like she was looking through the roof of the chapel like it wasn't even there. It was like she was looking into heaven itself. I saw a glow on her face I'd never seen in my entire life on her face. And I saw tears coming down her cheeks as she looked through, like she was looking at something beyond that roof. Later in the day, I stopped her. I was so intrigued. I called her name and I said, What in the world happened to you? (laughs) Do you know, my friend, she didn't look at me like, What are you talking about? She kind of got a little sheepish. She said, Dr. Jim, that's what they call me there. She said, Dr. Jim, I was miserable. I thought to myself, tell me something I didn't know. (laughs) Uh, She said, I was miserable. And she said, I was looking around all these students who were spending an hour with God. And she said, I'm going to spend an hour with God if it kills me. I want what they have. I'm going to tell you what they had. They had a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. They hadn't earned anything, they had found a friend. (laughs) But anyway, she said, I'm going to have an hour with God if it kills me. She said the first few days were pretty tough. She said, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth day. She said, I'm having my hour with God. And I almost wish I could have videotaped her because there was a glow on her face of wonder and awe as she's talking to me. She said, I was having my hour with God, fourth, fifth, sixth day. And she said, all of a sudden, Dr. Jim, I don't know how to explain this. She said, God was there. It's amazing what happens when God shows up, friends. You know what the Bible says, seek his face. How often? How often? <laughs> Continually. It ought to be the heartbeat of everybody in this room to walk out and say, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I can't go on without you. God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, I want to know what it means to fellowship with you. Oh God, I thirst after God. God, I want you. But oh how distracted we get, don't we? I'm telling you, friends, the spirit the presence of God, He's here. But the manifestation of His presence, God uses many different pictures. In fact, one is in Isaiah 64, when literally the the prophet calls out, "Rend the heavens and come down. In other words, the presence of God coming down can sometimes be dramatic, just like God took the heavens and ripped them in two. And you can read in revival history times when it seemed like the presence of God just dramatically descended on a situation. In fact, I was thinking of it when I was thinking of the 16-year-old young man that wrote Passion for Thee. There's another 16-year-old, I've heard his story. In the Lewis Awakening, 1949 to 1952, there was a 16-year-old teenage boy who got saved. His name was Donald, Donald McPhail. Donald McPhail, as a 16-year-old boy, got saved and grew like what happens in revival, people grow rapidly. And he became a part of the praying men of Barvis. The praying men of Barvis was a group of men that the evangelist would call in when he went into a new community, and it was hard, and there was no revival. He'd call in the praying men of Barvis, and man, they'd come in, and God would break through. But one of the praying men of Barvis was a 16-year-old teenage boy. Can you imagine that? Evangelist Duncan Campbell, the evangelist I was referring to, was preaching one night. He said it was dead as a doornail. He said, while he was preaching, he watched that sixteen year old little sixteen year old boy wrestling with God as he preached. Right in the middle of his message, he stopped. He the congregation, he said, I sense the Lord wants me to call on Donald McPhail to pray. That sixteen year old boy stood to his feet, looked toward heaven, and began to pray. And Duncan Campbell said it was like a spiritual hurricane dependent, a descendant of that congregation. He said, on one side, they were grabbing onto the pews, afraid they were about to drop into hell. He said, on the other side, they were looking up toward heaven, crying out for mercy. I want to tell you something, friends, that's dramatic. That's like heaven was rent and God just descended. Sometimes the Bible uses that imagery. Other times it's other imagery. It's quiet, it's a still, still, small voice like the prophet Elijah God wasn't in the whirlwind, He wasn't in the fire, He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the stillness of the moment. That's that time you wake up in the morning with a great need. You begin to meet with God, all kinds of burdens, and all of a sudden you know God is here. God is here. I'm telling you the great need of the American church is the presence of God. We need God, friend. If there was ever a day we needed God, it is now. And I'll be honest with you, if there's any positive thing that has happened in the last two years with the pandemic, the social unrest, the political upheaval, if there's anything it has done, I believe, is sobered God's people up. I think there is much more of an attitude of we need God today in the independent Baptist circles than I remember in a long time. And I'll be honest with you, I'm encouraged about it. I even sense in a message like tonight, preaching to a church like this, people are resonating. We need God. We need God. Hey, friend... I don't know. It may never return back to normal. For some of us that are older, it may never turn back to normal. not normal. But it doesn't mean we can't walk with God. It doesn't mean God can't work. It doesn't mean we couldn't have a new understanding of the reality of the presence of God. I want to ask you, friend, when's the last time you met with God and knew it? I remember I was sat down at, to eat lunch at Baptist College of Ministry there, and there was a little uh, sophomore girl there and a little freshman girl at the table, and they looked at me with bright eyes. And they said, oh, Dr. Jim, we're so glad you sat here. We want to tell you what happened last night. We got our food. We sat down. And I said, tell me what happened last night. The sophomore girl looked at me. And again, it's one of those moments you wish you could have videotaped just to capture the awe and the wonder of what they were saying. She said, we have four of us in our room. And we, we sat down to have our prayer meeting at 1030 to 11 is prayer time. And we got ready for our prayer time. We got on our knees and we began to pray. And And most of them in the room had siblings that were not right with God, far from God. She said, we began to pray. She said, I don't know how to explain it. We started at 1030, but we didn't end to 130. She said, Dr. Jim, I don't know how to explain it. It didn't feel like three hours. It just felt like minutes. She said, in the moment of that time, we knew God was there. We knew God was answering our prayers she said, Dr. Jim, I felt like in the middle of that thing, if I would have looked up, I would have seen the Lord Jesus. You know, my friend, she wouldn't have seen the Lord Jesus because what she was experiencing was not physical. It was spiritual. The amazing thing about that prayer meeting, there, uh, the, one of the brothers of one of those young ladies came to the college the next year and normally we wouldn't take a young man in the condition he was in. He was far from God but he was willing to come and and uh, submit to the rules, etc. And, and I'll explain, at the end of the semester, God just marvelously broke uh, broke his heart and his life. And the following fall, I took him with me. And I will tell you, of all the guys that have traveled with me, uh, he stood up to preach one day to his team. We have team meetings on Thursday, and he preached to 50 young people in a Christian school, very well-known Christian school. The school had 115. he was preaching to a third of them. They were his team. He gave the invitation, and... 48 of them got right with God, and that school experienced a revival as a result of the young man's preaching, and he got right with God as a result of that prayer meeting I just described where God showed up. I'm telling you, friends, don't ever underestimate the presence of God. I am telling you, friends, I don't understand at all, but I will tell you this, God tells us to seek His face continually. Continually. Now, here's what God says if you'll do it. I want to just encourage you with this. Deuteronomy four twenty nine. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If you seek for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. And you shall seek for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isaiah 41, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. How about Isaiah 44 and verse number 3? I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Matthew chapter number 5, talking there on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew chapter 7, seek and ye shall find. You know what God does not play hide and go seek? God's not a respecter of persons. Uh, Let me just put it this way. If you say, preacher, I can't live without God. I can't live without God. I've got to have God in my life. i got really good news for you. You don't have to live without God. Seek, the Bible says, and you will find. You will find. Now I want you to seek three concluding elements here just that will help us in this pursuit of God, this hungering and thirsting for God. And I want to tell you, friends, I don't know, next time you read, listen to some of the songs, uh, I don't ask for riches, whatever, I, don't have, I, I only ask thy presence. Ever be my guide. You see, that's the songwriter. You find it in so many, so many songs talk about the presence of God, or at least the concept here. So I want us to just review, just, or just to go over three things that are extremely important in this seeking God's face continually. Number one, time time. You know, we say sweet hour of prayer, but the truth is for most of it's, it's five minutes of prayer. Now, let me just say five minutes is way better than none, but I'm going to be honest with you in 2022, I don't think five minutes is going to cut it anymore. I have, uh, I remember something that happened in our local church that literally has transformed and is transforming and continues in the college to have impact. And that was that about five years ago when uh, our pastor introduced praying for an hour. I remember we... Uh, we we meet together as a staff, and we met together, and we all kind of concluded, you know, we need to pray. we just need to emphasize prayer. Let's do that. And so we talked about it. Somebody mentioned the Jonathan Goforth story, where as a young missionary, he was going to go into the most anti-foreign providence in China. And so he wrote the aged, famed missionary Hudson Taylor and said, what advice do you give? And Hudson Taylor wrote back, said, go forward on your knees. That's really good advice, isn't it? And so we said, let's take that as a theme. So we shortened it to forward on your knees, and that was our theme. We launch a theme in August. And uh, usually in January, the staff meets again and we evaluate, how's the theme going? And I'll never forget it. I happened to be there for that particular discussion. And the discussion was this, great theme, but it's not changing anybody's life. Now, if most of you folks... May not have the gift of the evangelist, but I tell people I'm afflicted with the gift of the evangelist. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love the affliction. But anyway, I'm afflicted with the gift of the evangelist, which is sometimes you just gotta, just gotta say it. Just gotta say it. So I looked at the guys. There's about 15 of them in that room. And I said, guys, could it be that the theme is not impacting our people because it's not impacting us? Well, we got some humble guys and they began to admit, yeah, the truth is I don't have much of a personal prayer life. And our pastor began to probe and we began to see there was honesty in the room that very few of our staff members spend an extended time with God. So our pastor said, okay, men, I want you to ask God how much you need the time you should be spending a day and, and then uh, I want you to get accountable to another staff member and we're going to do it for two months, see what happens. I have a dear friend of mine who made the decision to pray 20 minutes a day, never done that before, 20 minutes a day. He now prays an hour a day, but that time was 20 minutes a day. And the other staff members did the same. And that began to turn things a little bit. Then our pastor came across something called "Hour That Changes the World, written by Dick Eastman. Anybody familiar with that? Came out in the 80s. There's a PDF online, there's a book. But "Hour That Changes the World. So one day he took the extended staff. We were having our second semester opening and there were quite a few people in the room, kitchen staff, you know, maintenance, everybody, uh, teachers, etc. cetera. We got the college and the high school. And, and he said, I, I want everybody to turn off their cell phones. I don't want anybody to leave the room. We're going to spend an hour with God. Many people in that room said it was the first time in their life they'd ever spent an hour with God, in uninterrupted, first time. And many of them made it clear, it's not going to be my last time. I will tell you, it was life-changing for many that day. Many will tell you, their life began to change that day. Well, then our pastor felt led to take you to the deacons. He went to a deacons meeting, a deacons retreat, and said, men, again, don't leave, leave. Uh, turn off your cell phones, we're going to spend an hour with God. Then on a Sunday night, he got up in church after time to the preaching and they kind of cut the song, song service short. and He got up and said, everybody turn off your cell phone. I don't want anybody leaving. We're going to spend an hour with God. And the whole congregation, there are people five years ago in that service who spent an hour with God to this day, have not missed the day spending an hour with God, five years. And it all started that night when they began to spend an hour with God. You know what happens? You start spending an hour with God, God shows up. Or you die one of the two. You know, the point is, friends, if you seek him, you will find him. But you've got to seek him. Can I say this? If you can live without God, you will. You will. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because most American Christians do. We live without God. When's the last time you met God and knew it? I mean, you knew God was there. God's here. I am telling you, I believe the epitome of the human experience is fellowshipping with the Creator. I don't think there's anything in the human experience that gets any better than meeting with God. You know, my friend, we say there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. I believe that. But you know what's more amazing? There's a man-shaped hole in God's heart. And God wants to meet with you. He wants to fellowship with you. And all I'm simply saying, when God says seek his face, he's saying seek my presence. Seek the reality of my walk with God. Seek that, that, um, that fellowship with God. Seek his face continually. But it takes time. I remember a couple years ago, I was walking down the hallway to so one of our dear senior saints. I said, Barbara, how's your hour with God going? She looked at me. She said, now, Dr. Jim, you know I can't spend an hour with God. She said, I've got to spend two. <laughs> I'll tell you, I thank God for our senior saints, and I'll tell you, senior saints, some of out here say, I don't have an hour to spend. But you know, I will tell you where the hour with God has taken off in our church, it's with the retired people. People whose lives have been transformed because every day they're meeting with God. I will tell you, friend, if I had a tragedy in my life or a great thing, there's obviously a lot of people I'd call. And I'm thankful for everybody I'd be able to call. But some of the people I'd call would be laymen at Falls Baptist Church. You know why? Because I know they can get a hold of God. Because they spend what time with God every day. Now, I, I want you to understand, don't get legalistic about it. If you get legalistic about it like we talked about last night, if you ch- get to a box checking or you're trying to earn something with God, it won't work. Flesh dependence never works. It's obviously got to be a God dependent. God, I need you. The thing I love about the analogy, the other analogy, you got seek, but you have the analogy of thirst. You know what I love about the analogy of thirst? It's not meritorious. You know what meritorious means? You're earning it. You can't earn the presence of God. You realize when you're thirsty, you don't earn anything. You know what thirst does? Makes you seek quenching. That's what it does. Uh, You know how it is. In the summertime you get a little thirsty and then you see McDonald's. We all know what McDonald's. One dollar. That's it. One dollar. Unbelievable. Let's see how long that lasts. Okay, but anyway, one dollar. You can get a dollar Coke. How many knew that? How many knew that? Okay. Got a few people knew that. Dollar Coke. And so you go to McDonald's. And uh, of course, depending on the state you're in, some states it's a dollar five, some it's a dollar eight, dollar six. You know what I'm talking about? California $1.50. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, state of New York, $1.75. OK, just depends on the taxing. OK, but uh, so you go in there and you say, "Hey, I'd like a Coke. Coca-Cola. Large Coke. OK, they'd say that'll be a dollar, whatever. Dollar. What it would be here? Eight? What is it here? Six? Six. Unbelievable. You must have a Republican House and Senate. OK, but anyway, OK, so here is a dollar six. And uh, you say, what do you mean, a dollar six? Ah, You say, "Ah, can't you see I'm thirsty? I'm dying of thirst. I've earned this Coca-Cola. You know, they're going to pitch you out the door. You know why? Because the fact you're thirsty does not earn that Coca-Cola. All it means is the more thirsty you are, the more you will sacrifice to meet that need. See, thirst is a great picture. So that brings us, first of all, is time. It takes time. Time to seek the Lord. Don't get hung up on the hour. But I will say this. You said it's like this, when we first started this and our pastor challenged people to spend an hour with God, he gave people a 21-day challenge. And if you feel like you ought to take the 21-day challenge, we, can, we, have, we have, my wife has a PDF on how to spend an hour with God and it'll give you everything you need for 21 days to spend an hour with God. Give you a PDF free, no problem. You can just see her, get, give her your email. But here's the point. 21-day challenge, our pastor would get up and say, probably none of you has an hour just sitting around waiting for you to use so here's what you, I want you to do. Think about all the things you do that you don't have to do, like on the Internet, things like that, and clear out that technology you don't need and take 21 days and spend an hour with God and then make it an evaluation of what you're going to do from there. <laughs> Many people have said that 21 days changed their life. I went to a preacher's meeting in the state of Wisconsin where a pastor got up to preach for 25 minutes. I would say over half the message he wept. And all he did is explain how the hour with God changed his life. And he could not talk about it with crying. I'm going to tell you why. Because when God shows up, it touches the deepest recesses of who you are. You know you're loved, and you know God has a plan for your life, and there's a sense of destiny, and there's a sense of purpose and cause. When God shows up, how I could have put it this way, He meets our needs. It's really an amazing thing, but it takes time. Takes time. Now, don't get, like I mentioned, hung up on the hour. Spending 20 minutes is better than none. Spending 40 minutes is better than none. I get that. But there's something about the hour. I will say there's just something about the hour. It's a great way to start, even if you, if you have to scale back. But I guarantee if you spend an hour for 21 days, you may not want to scale back because you're meeting with God. I know when we, I bring an hour up, people are stunned. Absolutely stunned. But I am telling you, friends, in the day in which we live, if we got rid of things that really don't matter as much, we might find that we have more time than we think to meet with God. For some of you, you could meet with God simply on your commutes. If you drive 30 minutes or more on the way to work, you've got your hour. It's right there. And I guarantee you, meeting with God will be better than anything you'd ever hear on the radio. You won't get to work as depressed as you've been getting, okay? Okay. I'm just simply saying there's a way to meet with God. All I'm trying to do is get you to think. There's a way to meet with God, but it takes time. It takes time. Number two, I've already alluded to this, won't have to, I've kind of preached it already. But number two, it takes a pursuit. <laughs> it takes a pursuit. And number three, these are the three points. I've almost preached them now. I'm just going to kind of wind them together. Number three, it takes expectation. You know what expectation is? It's like this. If you were out soul winning and somebody said, oh, yeah, I want to get saved, and they pray, oh, Jesus, I'm a sinner going to hell, please save me. And then you say, well, if you died right now, where would you go? Well, I'd go to hell. Well, wait a second, didn't you get saved and ask Jesus to save you? Yeah, I did, but I don't think he did. Would you be excited about that salvation decision? Would you? No, because that's not faith, that's unbelief. So what kind of salvation decision excites you is when somebody prays and they're saying, Where would you go? I'd go to heaven. Why? Because the Bible says so. I'm trusting Jesus to do. Jesus said this. It's like this, friends. When you get saved, the, the, the key to getting saved is expecting Jesus to do what he said he'd do. I like the word expectation. You know why? Because it helps us understand what faith is. You know what faith is? Expecting Jesus to do what he said he'd do. And so it's like this. Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me. So if you seek Him, what should we expect? And the answer is that we'll find Him. God doesn't play hide-and-go-seek. He wants to meet with us. My wife, his, uh, her brother, older brother, was a student in Bible college. and He uh, got a refund check from the IRS. It was evidently a sizable amount. He wanted to keep it for safekeeping, so he opened up an empty tennis ball can, and he threw it in the tennis ball can, and he put his cap back on. Forgot about it and came time for a white glove at the end of the semester. And guess what he did? Threw it away. He drove all the way home to, that's from uh, South Carolina. He drove home to Atlanta, Georgia, about two and a half hours. And when he got home, he realized, I threw my check away. He got back in his car and he drove back to South Carolina and he found out where the dump is. And he went to the dump. And he began to look for that tennis ball can. You ever been to a dump? (laughs) He began to look for that tennis ball can. I just want to ask you one question. How long did he look for that tennis ball can? And the answer is, until he found it. And here's the key of seeking God. You seek him till you find him. My son-in-law has a purity podcast called Satisfied on the The Generation Network. And one of his podcasts, he challenged young men to spend an extended time with God and this issue of purity. And had a guy text him and said, man, I spent an hour with God, nothing happened. And he wrote him back and said, you seek God till you find him. About two or three days later, he wrote back and said, I know what you're talking about. God showed up. I will tell you, friends, one of the greatest delights of my heart is when I watch college students and teenagers meet with God because I know they will never be the same. I'm telling you, friends, listen, teenagers, I don't want you to have religion. I want you to have Jesus. I want you to walk with Jesus and know the reality of his presence. I want you to know what it is to know the walk through life and be able to fellowship with him and talk to him and to know the presence of God. Years ago, back in the Middle Ages, there was a guy who wrote a book on practicing the presence of God. And it is actually a stunning book. His name was Brother Lawrence. Stunning book, just a little short thing. As he talks about, he would experience the presence of God peeling potatoes in the kitchen. I'm telling you, friends, you can walk with God. You can be in a machine shop and know God's presence. My friend, you can be on a commute and know God's presence. I'm telling you, the greatest privilege of the Christian life is to fellowship with Jesus Christ, is to walk with God. And you know what God says? Seek His face. How often? How often? How often? Seek His face continually. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You've done a wonderful job listening. I appreciate so much the great attention. Would you just stand to your feet right where you are, heads bowed, eyes closed? Stand to your feet. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to do something I forgot to do during the message with heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to read a quote by A.W. Tozer. I forgot to read this earlier. For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God Himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their hearts. And I love that kind of heartbeat. So here's what we're going to do. Just a moment, we're going to have the piano play. And I'm just going to encourage you tonight, if God has touched your heart, you know, say, you know, preacher, it's been a while since I've met with God. Maybe God's stirring you about committing yourself to a certain amount of time and saying, you know what? I'm going to take a 21-day challenge. I'm going to spend, Maybe if you're spending no time, you can say, I'm going to spend 20 minutes. I don't know. You, you tell God. God will show you what to do. And maybe some say, preacher, I'm ready to take that hour challenge. I'll get that email to your wife and get that help, and I'm, I'm ready to start spending time with God, entering into His presence. Spending time with God with an open Bible and, and uh, spending time communing with Him, Him communing with us. So in just a moment, I'll point to the piano. She'll begin to play. And let me just say tonight, I'll just urge you to sit down right where you are and just, first of all, if there's failure, confess it to God. God, I haven't met with you. It's been a while since I've met with you. Then say, God, what would you have me to do? So if God's touched your heart tonight about seeking His face continually, would you just sit and do business with God as the piano plays?